The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. You're in the book of Mark, chapter 9, verse 30. Just a, a chapter before, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to die and come back from the dead. Does anyone remember what Peter said? You don't have to if you weren't here. Granted, this is second service on choir day, so I know this is the smaller of the two services today. Peter said, you're not going to die. No way. And then Jesus had the famous line, said, get behind me, Satan. Thank you. Jesus again. They, they come down from the mountain. Three disciples see Jesus glowing because of his divinity breaking through his skin. They come down the mountain. The other nine disciples couldn't cast out a demon. That was last week. And then Jesus tells them again, you guys, I am going to die. Let's just read it. They went on from there. They passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite title for himself, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. If you've ever felt dumb in church, know that you're in good company. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you guys discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. I got these uncles on my Filipino side of my family. Let me know if you have uncles like this by just giggling and snorting and laughter. My uncles are between the ages of like 50 and 70. Every single time they get together, there was an argument about who is the better athlete in high school. Anybody else have this family? These are guys that have had 17 too many boxes of Krispy Kreme donuts. These are guys who huff and puff when they walk around the block. These are guys who have to take so many pills to start their day just to function. But when you get them all together in a room, it's all about who was the best basketball player, who could run the fastest, who could throw the shot put the farthest. And I kid you not, I, I am 99% sure every single one of those keeps their letterman's jacket in good working condition for the day that they go on the ketosis diet and can wear it again. My uncles, they're prideful. Now let's be real. This is how we do it in our culture. We compete. If you don't have uncles that you can point at to comp that compete, uh, think about your own sibling. I mean, right now in this room, as I've jested many, many times, one of my brothers resides. I'm faster than him. I'm stronger than him. I could bench press more than him. I don't even know if he can do a pull-up, if we're being honest. I think I could beat him in a foot race with my peg leg. Army ranger, schmarmy danger. He keeps asking me to go to the gym. Come on, man, let's go to the gym. Ah! He doesn't ask me like that, but that's how I hear it. Um, and, and finally his wife just said, Trent, he doesn't want to go to the gym. You don't get it. And I was like, let me make you understand. Hey, Trent, do you want to join a theological book club with me? And he goes, what does that mean? I was like, exactly. You join my book club, I join your gym. Uh-oh, don't worry, I'm safe. <laughs> God wired us different, you know. He does pull-ups with extra weights. I, I'm going to need pull-ups if I keep doing this to myself. This is just different. 
but we compete all the time. Even to this day, he has never beat me in wrestling. You know why? Because I knew the day was coming where he'd be able to murder me. So as he was working up to that phase of life, I psychologically demolished him. And there have been moments where I've seen the glimmer in his eye when I'm not injured. Any of my three brothers and I, we look at each other, me and my youngest and Trent, we look at each other and there's this look that we say, about to go down. And the other brother says, oh yeah, in our eyeballs. And then we pounce like in Mean Girls. And then when they just wrestle. Now, thankfully, I'm the oldest. And I'm going to go with the smartest since I have a microphone. And uh, I just tormented them. I beat the tar out of them when they were weak. I tortured them when they were weak. So that even now, if, if you don't know my brother, he's back there. Look at him when he leaves out of here. He looks like King Leonidas with a beard. Um, he, he, could, he could probably kill me. But I think he's unsure. I think somewhere in his mind he goes, I have the training, I have the weaponry, I have the body mass, but there's something not right in my brother's head. (laughs) That's the only edge I have in this competition now. And here's the thing about comparing ourselves and wanting to be great. The world defines greatness as having more power or more authority or more intellectual capacity as other people, having more toys than the person next to you. The world's idea of what it means to be great is to accumulate more than someone else or to be something more than someone else. Our world is driven by this comparison, and the disciples are no different. Jesus literally for the second time said, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. The first time, Peter says, no, you're not, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. The second time, Jesus says, you guys, listen I'm going to die and rise again. And they're like, I don't get it. Who's the best among us? Who's the greatest? I think it was Peter, by the way, that started this. Here's why. They go on the mountain. Peter, James, and John have this amazing experience with Jesus. They come down the mountain. The other nine have just failed in doing a very common miracle that they were all doing, casting out an evil presence. So I I can picture they're walking. They're like, well, I don't know what this Jesus is talking about, dying and stuff. That doesn't make sense. But you guys. Peter goes, in my brain, Peter says, you know I'm his favorite, right? You know I'm his favorite. And they'll be like, no, 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 you're, you're, not, you're not his favorite. I, I've, I've done the most. John says, Peter, just wait till this guy named Leonardo da Vinci paints a painting of the Last Supper. I'm going to be laying on Jesus in that painting. And then Peter will say something like, dude, I'll walk down water. And then John will say, yeah, but he calls me his beloved servant. And then Peter will say, yeah, but I was one of the first. And then John will say, yeah, but so was I. This is what it looks like in the world. We compete with each other, and we want to figure out who's the best. Even in churches, we do it. It's this constant comparison. Here's what Jesus says. If you want to be great, if you want to understand what it means to live a great life and to be a great person, if you want to have a taste of actual greatness in your life, no matter where you are, if you're, if you're 10 or if you're, if you're 80, if you want to be great, here's what Jesus says. He sat down. He called the 12, these 12 bumbling dumbleheads. He says, if anyone would be first, if you want to be first, if you want to be great, if you want to be at the top, he must be last. He must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a child. 
What do you guys say when you see a cute child in this world? Oh, they didn't say that when they saw a cute child in, the, in their world. Maybe the, the mother liked them. You know that phrase, a face only a mother could love? Children were seen as primarily useless people, which, let's be honest, in the context of four and under, they're mostly useless people. We love them. We're raising them up to be decent human beings. But if, if your children are anything like my children, I pray they are, so you suffer the same torment. Um, you teach your child to clean at the age of four, three, you, there's a mess. You give them a Clorox wipe or a napkin with water on it, and you say, okay, clean that up. Does it end up more clean or more of a disaster? More of a disaster. Same as when you teach them to do anything. Wipe their butts. You've got to teach them sometime, but those first two times ain't pretty. Children in this context is like an infant, toddler, young person could do nothing. The, ironically, the, or interestingly, the Aramaic word for child and servant is the exact same. The language that would have been one of the common languages spoken is the exact same. A slave or servant and a child were the same. I tell my kids this often. You know, I had you so that I don't have to do chores. But you're not living up to your potential of greatness in serving me. Jesus picks up a child and he puts the child in the midst of them and says, look at this child. If you receive such child, one who receives such a child in my name receives me. If you want Jesus, you receive the lowliest of low. Children were the bottom ladder of productivity. A child isn't going to protect you. If someone comes barging into my house in the middle of the night when my leg is normal, Here's how the order goes. My wife hits me. Boom, boom. I heard a noise downstairs. I say, okay, I'll go check it out. I get my bat, and I walk downstairs. And, I, and usually she knows if she hears a second noise, and it's me screaming to take the kids and go somewhere safe. And I go down there, and I beat something with a bat. It's a, it's a natural order. We don't do this, although in light of my past sermon illustrations, it makes sense. We don't say, Silas, here's the bat. I need you to go downstairs and take care of this. Or really, Savannah, someone's stealing your egos. Get them. That might be the most effective home defense that we have under our belt. Because children can't do this. They don't go out and make money. Obviously, putting aside those YouTube children stars that, that parents leverage for money, they should feel terrible about doing that. Parent, children can't go grocery shopping. I'm talking about five and under. You're not sending your kid to Publix by themselves. If you do, you're going to end up putting that kid in foster care, and then we're going to have to provide more foster care families. Children aren't protecting you. Children aren't there to, to comfort you when you're down, although they can comfort you. But the little ones, they don't do much. My daughter now, she can make three noises. She can say, da-da. She can say, hi-da. And she can go, that's all she can do. I'm not counting on her for much. Now, Jesus says, go to the bottom. The people who are the most helpless and receive them, serve them, be with them. If you want to be great, it's a race to being last. It's a race to emptying out your pride and humbly going to serve the least of these. Here's the least of these. Children in general, people with disabilities in our culture are often the least of these. Orphans or foster kids are the least of these. We have one of the highest 
foster, uh, fostering needs in the country, in this county, in this area, in Tampa area. I don't know what it is. I've tried to put my finger on it. We've got drug, drug epidemics all around us. There's crime of varying degrees. And we are a, an incredible fostering church. We need to serve the least of them. You're like, oh, I can't foster. I, I don't like, I, wanna, I don't want to serve children. I can't serve people with disabilities. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus said, go to the bottom of the ladder. Race to serve everyone that you can, starting with the lowest of the lows. Don't think yourself above anything. Serve the children, serve the widows, serve the poor, serve the family of God, the Bible talks about, in any capacity. If you want to be great, then you must humble yourself and serve. Humility is a tough pill to swallow. One of my favorite little limerick prayers is from Skip. He says, Lord, make me humble. Wait, wait, how does it go? Make me humble without humbling me? Oh, keep me humble without having to be humble. If you ever want your life just to get thrashed, pray for things like this. Lord, give me peace and wisdom. Because how he gives you peace is by taking you through a storm. How he gives you wisdom is by putting you through a trial that makes your brain and soul have to unite in a way of creativity to find relief from the trial. The way he makes you humble is by crushing your pride. Lord, Keep me humble without having to humble me. Whenever I hear Skip pray that under my breath, I say, Lord, humble him in any way you can. Don't give Skip a way out. He's strong. Humility. When we think of humility, I think we have this weird conception of this weird picture in our minds. We think of, at least I think of, certain things. When you think of a humble person, sometimes we think of that person who's just like kind of mousy, a little gloomy. When we think of a humble person, we often think of someone who just gets walked all over. People need to do what they want, have their way, because this person's not going to stand up. They don't have a spine. They don't have a backbone. But I, I actually have this hunch, this theory, that humility is the exact opposite. In, in a very popular business book called The Good to Great, which most leaders have read, one of the interesting finds was that high-capacity leaders had this, this quality of humility, something that they were not expecting to find in all of the studies and all of the research that these high-end CEOs and presidents were actually very humble. They gave credit to everyone else and they didn't take credit for themselves. They were constantly serving and lifting others up and not seeing themselves as the big boss, the big cheese, the CEO, El Presidente. I think something humility does is it doesn't make us weak. It actually puts into perspective where true strength comes from. It doesn't make it gloomy. It actually frees us from one of the, the biggest blocks to joy that I think we can experience. Let me explain. We'll, cut, we'll tackle the gloomy one first because I just think it's weird and funny to me. Do you guys have that friend who when they laugh, they have like the gnarliest, loudest, snorting laugh, just snot out of the nose, tears out of the eyes, falling out of the chair, red face? Do you guys have that friend? Now, I have a theory that you can only do that when you're a truly humble person. Because if you're a humble person, if you say, before God, I know who I am and I'm nothing. And God is everything, yet he still loves me. My sinfulness is in the chasms of darkness and God's perfection is so far above me. Who am I but God's child? I cannot make it on my own. I can't impress anybody. And as soon as you realize you can't impress anybody, 
As soon as you realize you've got nothing to offer, that's when you can be a snot-nosed, teary-eyed, red-faced, fall out of your chair laughing. You know how prideful people laugh at dinner parties? <laughs> that's it. Prideful people keep it in. Prideful people laugh just a little bit. When prideful people snort on accident, you have that friend that does that, right? They go, <laughs> oh, no. If it's you, I'm so sorry. Let it out. Because here's the thing. If you're a humble person, if you know who you are and who God is, if you know that, that you've brought nothing and God has brought everything and that God still loves you, there's nothing to prove to anybody. My wife used to hate going to the movies with me. Um, I, I have this laugh that she's leveraged my pride against, you guys. I, I used to have this laugh. It was so powerful. It could hurt people's ears. I still let it out from time to time. And literally, my wife or my brother, well, he's mostly deaf from war. But before that, when I would laugh, they'd be like, oh, my gosh, stop laughing. When my wife and I would go to comedies, there were times where I could tell, like, I don't think she's going to sit next to me in this movie theater. And I, would, I, I just laugh. And she used to tell me, shh, 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 stop it. And finally... I was trained into submission like a golden retriever. Like a pug who's just been beat down without its asthma inhaler. And now when I go to the movies, I just laugh like a normal person. <laughs> Inside, I'm roaring. But my pride has closed me off. I'm worrying that my wife will think something of me that I don't want her to think of me. My pride for her, you know, I'm worried that people will look at that woman and say, that poor, poor woman who's married to that poor, poor man, which many people will think already. As soon as you understand humility, who you are in light of who God is, that's humility. As soon as you get that, then nothing Nothing will leave you out there to have to impress anyone else because you realize that if you're way down here and God's way up there and he still loves you, you've got nothing to lose. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's a very, very unpopular saying that I despise that many of you may think comes from the Bible. God only helps those who help. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There's books called self-help books. I read some self-help books. There's this concept in our culture called self-reliance, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. What's the key commonality in all of those words? Self. I'm here to tell you that if you want to be great, leave yourself at the door. Get over yourself. Say, it's not about myself, it's about others. Jesus in Philippians 2, say, it tells us this, do nothing from selfish, self ish ambition or conceit but in humility can count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others because this is what christ did for me and for you i've i've talked often that i i don't ever want to have a bumper sticker or t-shirts or hats for the chapel because I think it's weird, first of all. And I don't know what they all mean, so I'm not picking on a church. 
I'm just telling you what I see, okay? There's this bumper sticker. I see it all the time, so it's probably one of the bigger churches. And it says, I love my church, which is weird if you think about it, right? Because if you didn't love your church, I I mean, maybe I will get a bumper sticker, but I want to get one that says, like, I feel okay about my church and see how many of you do it. Like my church, 5 out of 10 on the scale. See how you like it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand things like that because it's, it's weird to me because it's like they're thinking that church is that thing over there. But church is who we are here. And if church is about us being the family of God, serving, then my question is this. What do, when we say, I love my church, what do we mean? I'd rather us be a church that says, I serve my church. Most church, actually, that's not true. Every single church I've been at has always said, we need more volunteers for this. We need more volunteers for that. We need all these volunteers. And the, the chapel's no exception. Jesus said, if you want to be first, if you want to be great, outserve everyone. Now, we have some amazing servants here. Amazing. Ree organizes the songs and the rehearsals, does the, the, the midweek rehearsals, gets here before everyone, opens up the thing, turns on the air conditioning. She does it for free. Corey's been here longer than I've been here. He's spent more hours in this building than I've spent in this building. He's, he runs tech. He works at Disney at a marathon this morning at, at O'Dark 100, and then he drives at 700 miles an hour to get here to do the second service because the Lord knows I was running sound the first service. I don't know what that went like for everybody. He does it for free. I'm not like sliding him cooked turkeys under the hallway for payment. He doesn't get gold bars. He wants to serve. Don, our children's director, has been serving for years in the back, trying to get teachers to come in, teachers dropping out, trying to recruit and train. Does it for free. Jared and Charlie building stuff out there. The Cobbs direct the, the decorating this stuff, figuring out how to plan things, changing light bulbs. Darcy and Miss Kathy cleaning the chapel every week. They're just serving. The people who clean the toilets, people who refill the paper towels, I don't know if the, the trash mysteriously gets replaced. I know that it's usually Frank or Chris or someone or Ricky. I see you guys doing it. You're just serving. If you want to figure out the greatness that God has called you to, try to outserve everyone around you. Try to outserve by providing the simple things and the big things, by giving a glass of water to someone, as Jesus says, or by serving with the kids. I don't know where you're called to serve, but I know that you are all called to serve. One of my favorite quotes is John Wesley said this. He said, in regards to, to how we ought to live, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. If you want to know how to serve, serve like that. If you don't know where to start, I've got a bajillion places. I might get bumper stickers and t-shirts for us one day. But if I do, it's going to be all out of irony. If we got 100% of the chapel serving, which I don't know that I've ever, I've never even heard of a church that's like that except for churches in third world countries, I might get a bumper sticker that says, we serve. You know, it's called a church service, right? Church service, not a church citus. Just in case you missed that one. It's a little bit on the nose for church folk. We're here to serve one another. We're here to serve the children. Like we have, we have the direct application of this passage to back there. 
Because Donna let us know that she's, they've adopted one child who's, who's in a wheelchair and disabled. They're adopting another one whose parents tragically died, who was one of Donna's former students. And she's like, Ryan, I just can't do it anymore. I, I need, she hasn't been in church service for, for three months. Donna hasn't. She's like, I need to do something different for my family. I said, I, absolutely. And then this, this passage comes up right after she tells me that. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to tell Chapel family, if you want to figure out how to be great, Start by serving the kids at the chapel. They listen vastly more than you guys listen. If I told all of the children that came through the program today, this week I want you all to give somebody a cup of water. The reason I'm saying that is because the end of this passage talks about how you can give someone a cup of water and there's a reward in it. Guess how many of those kids would give their friends a cup of water? Percentage-wise, 100% of them give or take one ADD kid that wasn't listening at the time. If I ask all of you to go do one thing for one person this week, Pareto's Law, 80-20. 20% of you are going to do it, 80% of you are going to think about it, and then forget about it. I don't know why that is, but if you want to be great, start with serving in all humility. God opposes prideful people, but he gives grace to humble people. If you want to figure out who you were created to be, do so by serving. This is whether or not you're a follower of God in this room this morning. If you want to figure out who God has created you to be, you might go, I don't believe in God. Well, try this on. Go try to serve people. And you're going to find out that serving in certain ways is going to make your heart sing in a way that it's never done before. And it may be something unexpected. It may be getting food ready to put in the blessing bags in the back there so that you can bless other people. Maybe taking your blessing bag and giving it to a family. It may be going around to your neighbor's house and saying, you know what I'm just going to do this week? I'm just going to walk around to my neighbors and I'm going to bake a bunch of stuff and give it to them and say, how can I pray for them? It may be going to your kid's class and volunteering. It may be if you're a kid trying to figure out how to serve, it may be that you go to school and you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure that no kid in my lunchroom sits alone this week. And you're going to find out who you are in this process. Now, we can't all serve everyone, but all of us can serve someone. And if you want to figure out what it means to be great, it starts with humbling yourself before God and pouring yourself out like Jesus poured himself out for you. And the interesting thing that comes with this idea of serving is that all of a sudden you're free to be yourself. I love this little argument they get in next. In verse 38, it says that John said to him, Teacher, We saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. He wasn't in our official crew. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. That may seem disconnected, but think about the story arc here. Three disciples see Jesus beaming in glory. They come down the mountain. Nine disciples failed at casting out a demon. And then Jesus says, I'm going to die. And then they argue, who's the best? Who's the best? Who's the best? Being petty. And then John sees someone that is casting out demons right after the other guys couldn't. He said, well, Jesus, I saw this guy doing this thing that's our thing. I told I was going to tell him to stop. What do you think? Jesus says, don't. If he's doing it in my name, he'll come around. If he's If he's doing a work in my name and using my name, you can't do that and then speak evil of me later. But John wanted him to be in the official team. 
This is a great danger in the churches in America. We compare ourselves so often. I, I poke and I prod with bumper stickers. I, I really don't care. If you want to get a bumper sticker made that says, I love my church, do it. If you see a, a T-shirt around here that says the chapel at Fishhawk, we have them floating around. It's because I, I said I wasn't going to do it, so people made their own. They just made them. They literally stole my copyrighted font and made them. But I, don't, I don't care. What I would care about is if we started doing what the disciples are doing. Saying, oh, you're not in the right team. You don't have the right beliefs, so therefore you're not right. We do it all the time. I do it all the time, I should say. I, was at, I went to a pastor's meeting this uh, past week. That's my first one since I've been all crippled up. And, um, and you guys, I, if I'm being honest, a lot of times I just don't even like being a pastor. We talk about the dumbest things you could never imagine. We get together and we'll talk about some real stuff, you know, but, but generally it's like, oh, what are you doing for Easter? Well, we're doing this marketing campaign. We're sending out postcards. We're doing this creative thing. And the good part about being a crippled pastor and a grumpy pastor is that they say, what are you guys doing? I'm like, nothing. Are you guys doing anything special? You mean more special than celebrating Jesus like we do every Sunday? Nope, because I'm snarky. You could tell. Well, don't you want to just, just pack the place out? I was like, it gets packed out enough. I don't want too many people to come. Our AC is dying. It's on its last leg. Here's what I want on Easter. My, the heart, my heart as a pastor. I want at least one person to come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. I want at least a couple of you to say from this sermon, you know what? I am going to serve. And I don't know if I'm going to be good at it. Because I promise you, not all of us can be kids, kidmen teachers. Not all of us can be greeters. I know this because I know many of you. Like seriously, some of you, stay away from greeting. Like, if you feel your face now looks angry, it feels that way to us too. Don't greet. But some of you are like, well, I'm only here passing by, I'm visiting. Great. Why don't you visit and serve? Why don't you serve some coffee? Why don't you say hello to someone in the parking lot? Why don't you help pick up some trash? I'll pick up some trash. I know Frank will pick up some trash. But what happens is this, is that a few of us serve so much that we get exhausted. And I, and I get it. Donna, Donna is stepping down from Kidman because of all the stuff going on. I said, Lord, I have no idea what we're going to do. I have no idea because Donna's one of those people that are like my, one of my spine, my vertebrae. I've got Ree and Jared and Charlie and the elders. They're holding me up. If, I, if they weren't here, this is all done. If Corey's not here, this is all done. I'm literally shouting my voice out every Sunday with no microphone. I'm like, Lord, what are we going to do? Edwin says, out of the blue. I didn't ask him. I was just praying. God, you need to show me a direction. Show me a direction. And Edwin says, you know what? I'm going to step in in the interim. Edwin, who's been leading our youth for I don't know how many years. I don't know how many years. He's like, I'll, I'll, I'll help out. I'll get all the teachers organized. We're going to rally more teachers back there. I'm like, Edwin, you're going to do all that? Who's going to teach the youth? I don't know. I'll probably teach the youth too, so. Okay. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Edwin, you're going to kill yourself. Guess what Jesus did for us? Killed himself. He gave his life to serve, to be the last. Some people have been serving here for a long time. I always joke around with Miss Lynn. She's been serving in here in various capacities for many years. And my very first day as the pastor of this chapel, she told me, Pastor, 
She has back when she would call me pastor with reverence. Pastor, come here. Very first thing. I want you to know I've got shoes in my closet that are older than you. That's what Miss Lynn told me. I told her she needs new shoes. And then my Bible is, the Bible, the Word of God is older than all of her shoes. She's still here serving. My mother-in-law, if a teacher calls out on Saturday night, I could call her and say, Melly, we really need someone to teach. She'll get online and prepare a whole message for kids. My father-in-law, Jared, he'll come and saw this building in half. Somebody's putting pens in the thing. Somebody's cleaning the toilets. Somebody's wiping down the counters and sinks. Somebody's greeting people. Somebody's teaching the kids. Somebody's praying for the kids. There's nursery people back there. You may not even know their name, and they pray over the kids every single week. They're racing to be the greatest. And the way to do that is to race to the bottom and to outserve everyone, to be humble. It's in that moment that you realize that you've been clothed with Christ. And when you're clothed with Him, you you get Him in you and around you and through you. He doesn't just say, serve, now give it your best shot. He doesn't just show you the path. He gives you the power. There's this movie that some of you are not going to remember because it was, it was really generationally specific. It was called Be Like Mike. It was this kid. Back then he was called Little Bow Wow. Now he's called like the Big Wolf Wolf or something. I don't know. He's some rapper kid. And the story is so cool. As a basketball player, former basketball player, I'm never touching a basketball for the rest of my life. Um, there's this pair of shoes, and they're hanging up on a wire. And in the beginning of the movie, he's terrible at basketball. He can't make the moves. He gets swatted down by everybody. But then this night, there's this, these shoes, and they look beautiful, and they're hanging on the wire. And you kids aren't going to know what this is. But back in the day, the bullies used to tie shoes together, and you would boomerang them up, and they would hang over the wires. The reason why you kids don't know that is because in Fishhawk, they got a little wire clipper who goes around and cleans everything in Fishhawk. But if you go over to, like, Gibtown, you know, you'll see shoes up, up there. And the shoes were behind, and this kid wanted to get those shoes. So he climbed up to get these shoes. And when he was doing it, lightning struck, because every good superhero movie has lightning. And he falls down and gets the shoes. And he opens up the tongue. And this is back in the heyday of Michael Jordan. In case you don't know who Michael is, best of all time. Better than Steph, better than LeBron, better than all. Don't argue. You need Jesus. It says MJ. And he puts on the MJs. And when he puts on these shoes, this little kid, this little eight-year-old kid, can play like Mike. He could dunk. He could jump and run and dribble and shoot. And he ends up in the NBA as just this little kid, a little bow wow, lighting up the NBA. But only when he wears those shoes, only when he has those shoes on, can he do everything that Michael Jordan could do. And that's just a movie. You actually have the Spirit of Christ in you to do everything that Christ could do. Jesus himself said, see, all, everything that I'm doing, you're going to do greater things than these, greater things than these. How can that be possible? Because the same spirit that lived and motivated Christ to the cross, into the grave, and out from the grave, the same spirit that was, that was guiding Jesus to heal the blind, to raise the dead, to, to bring children in when a, in a time when children were not cared for, to lift up women who were oppressed in a time that women were seen as property. This is the same Jesus who told stories about a father who would absolutely humiliate, humiliate himself by running toward his lost kid humble pursuit, love, and sacrifice to the point of death, that spirit, if you believe in Jesus, lives in you. So when you say, there's no way I could teach first graders, bull honky, Jesus can raise from the dead. You tell me his spirit can't get you through 
a little bout of ADD. Put on your bat dad voice and get in there, champ. You don't understand. Uh, I'm not cleaning. I'm allergic to cleaning supplies. I tried that excuse and my mother never worked. Every excuse we have to not serve, some of them are going to be legitimate. Some of you will be like, oh, I can't do this. I've got a herniated disc. My spine is glued together with adamantium. I don't even know how I'm functioning. I said, good. You know how you can serve? Come here early, lay prostrate in a chair, and pray for everyone that's going to sit in here in the morning. You know how you can serve? Help the decorating team. You know how you can serve? Get here and help make coffee and greet people in the morning. You know how you can serve? Man, you, you, if you play the oboe, I've been looking for a good oboist. You know how you can serve? Come here and help run the slides. You know how you can serve? Get out of here and go do something else. Go serve the poor. You know how you can serve? Go do a ride-along with one of the, the law enforcement we have here and just pray for them all day when you're riding along with them. And then when you're not praying, do what I'm going to do when I finally fill out my ride-along paper. I'm just going to be in the car going, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? Ooh, ooh, bad boys, what you going to do? That's why they're never going to let me come on them with the ride-along. Can I sing that if I go in your car? Can I sing that if I go in your car? Your car? 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 Can I sing that if I come to your work at the Tampa Bay Zoo? Bad boys, bad boys. No. I don't want to go to the zoo. Those are my people. Chimps. I'm just lowly. If you want to be great, serve as fast as you can to be last. If you want to be great, humble yourself in a way that you finally won't care what other people think about you. The great plight of teenagers and young people today is that they have more telling them what not to be than we ever did. Now, we still do the same game. We just do it less. When, I, when we were growing up, those of us who grew up pre-internet, those of us who remember the sound, <coughs> all of you in here, when we grew up, we just had our circle of biological people telling us the expectations we had to meet, telling us who we were and who we weren't, and the pressures of how many eyeballs were looking at us were literally just the actual eyeballs looking at us. In my kids' world now, the number of eyeballs looking at my children and all of your children it's, it's an enemy to humility. It's going to keep them bound up by other people's opinions. The only way I think we can teach our children and teach ourselves is to try to race to the bottom and serve the least of these as often and as fiercely as we possibly can, to do all the good we can by all the means we can in all the ways that we can in all the places that we can at all the times we can to all the people we can as long, as long, as long as we ever can you want to serve and you don't know where to start, we'll put you to work in Jesus' name. Let's be a serving church. Let's be a serving church. And maybe we'll get some bumper stickers then. Because I don't like the bumper stickers nowadays. I want something cool. Like my church is mediocre. Come check us out. We got a 3.5 out of 5 on Yelp. That's not true. I haven't checked, actually, because I don't care. <laughs> Come to my church. We're not friendly. <laughs> These are the bumper stickers I can get behind. But really, I want the, the bumper sticker to be, to be God's original plan. You are the bumper sticker. God created you and me in his image. We don't need to make other images. We try to make shiny postcards. God made a human being. 
shiny postcard is not going to get someone to a church experience to meet Jesus. Them knowing you and you serving them is what's going to draw people in. Had a man attend first service this morning. He attended first service this morning because he ran into a chapel member in public. And he said, there was a weird spirit about them. And this, this particular guy who visited this morning, when he met this chapel family, or he knew the chapel family, but when he saw them this day, uh, they were buying groceries for our blessing bags. And he said, I don't know what it was, but something about the spirit of that person said, I'm going to buy a whole cart full of groceries. This guy never bought, never been to the chapel, never heard a sermon, never heard a song, never had his kids watch. He said, I just want to help people. Showed up this morning for the first time, literally months later, months later, because one person wanted to serve him with how they said, how can I pray for you? How are you doing? Maybe that's all you're doing this week. But let's do something. Sound like a plan, fam? Okay, let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. And the way that you love us is so incredible. Jesus, that you would give us the same power that propelled you through this life. That you would give that to us, Lord, and we take it for granted. Lord, that we think that being the best is being the president or the CEO or the top dog, but your way of being the best is going to the bottom and serving the least of these. Help us to understand that and get that. Help us to pursue that even when we fail. Help us to humble ourselves before you, knowing that you are great and loving and good. And no matter where we find ourselves, you will always pursue us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.